0: All about the life and ministry of Jesus. We've been doing a series of lessons where we've been going through uh, Mark's version of the life of Jesus. If you didn't know it, Mark was the first version written. It was written at least ten years before the others. And so it has kind of a uniqueness there. Mark is, uh, Mark is very blunt. Mark is very to the point. He, uh, Mark frequently leaves out a lot of details I said this back in the beginning of our series. My theory is that Mark must have been married, because he leaves out a lot of details. At least that's the way it works in my marriage. But we're going to be in Mark. We're going to be. We're getting toward the end of our series. We're going to be um, in chapter 14, mostly in chapter 15 today. Uh, I did want to make a uh, uh, a special introduction today as we're beginning. We. Uh, formally want to welcome he's been here for uh, several weeks now but we have a a new brother in our singles ministry who moved down from the Santa Carita area and that part of the church but uh, he's now here and he's in the small group that uh, Elmore and Autumn Dignadisi lead but that is Taylor Schmelling. Taylor stand up right over here (laughs) wonderful young man Taylor Uh, you should meet him. And uh, the reason I said that, Taylor, was to put you on notice so that you would not do anything to embarrass yourself or me uh, going forward here. It's great to have you with us. I also wanted to say uh, thank you very much uh, to Rob Cosberg, who preached again for us last week. And I... uh, I understand that he did a fantastic job. And, of course, that's nothing new. And I, I want to say it if I haven't said it uh, enough publicly. I do travel sometimes. And uh, actually last Sunday I was speaking over the Turning Point Ministry, another part of our fellowship here in L.A. And just had a wonderful time, Mary Kay and I did over there. But frequently when I go out of town, I'm speaking other places, etc., etc. et cetera. Rob uh, preaches for us, and he does a fantastic job. Uh, I uh, love the fact that I can go and, and know that you're going, to be, uh, you're going to receive a great lesson spiritually uh, when he's there. It, it's a little irritating because when I come back, everybody just talks so much about how great Rob is and how great his sermon was. And uh, being the uh, imperfect human being that I am, I immediately think about, you know, I'm immediately insecure. And I wonder what you think about me. But anyway... Um, Rob does a great job. Thank you, Rob, for doing that and for uh, speaking for us as well. So, uh, it's going uh, to be fairly intense today. Uh, if you were here two weeks ago, our last lesson uh, was about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the, uh, the title of that lesson, Have You Been to the Garden? Have You Been to Gethsemane? And it's all about Jesus wrestling with God's will for his life, and us perhaps wrestling with uh, God's will for our life, especially when it's uncomfortable or involves suffering and such. Uh, Just sort of as we get into it here, I wanted to uh, mention to you and tell you a little bit about a trip that Mary Kay and I made to Germany uh, many years ago. Uh, going back many years ago, there was a time when Mary Kay and I were thinking about possibly going to plant a church in Germany. And so we went over there and uh, we visited. We were over there for, what, maybe ten days? Uh, we visited uh, several of the major cities in Germany and sort of got to experience the culture there. Uh, it was a lot of fun. How many of you have ever been to Germany. Germany is, Germany is cool. There's several things about it, uh, that I liked a lot. Uh, if you like beer, Germany is a great place to go. I mean, every little pub and every little restaurant has their own brewery, you know, and I mean, this, I mean, if you like beer, then you're gonna like Germany. And I don't know much German. The only German I know is Ein Bier Bitte. That means one beer, please. See, because I stopped at one, so that was good. Ein Bier. Ein Bier Bitte. Yes. Uh, another thing that's really cool about Germany, and you may have heard about it, if you haven't, is the Autobahn. Yeah. The Autobahn... How many of you like to drive fast? You need to go to Germany. Because in Germany, they have this thing called the Autobahn, which is like this super freeway, and there is no speed limit. You can drive as fast as you want to go. And uh, it's very, very exciting. Uh, Unfortunately when uh, we rented a car there and stuff, and we were on a missions trip and we didn't have a huge budget. So the rental car we got was a, uh, an Opel Cadet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you know the Opel Cadet, but there are, there are nicer cars than that in Germany. So Porsche, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, you know, and so, but I couldn't get one of those. By the way, that's another great thing about Germany. The minute you fly into the airport and you get out, and you—if you want to take a taxi, there's a row of beautiful cream-colored Mercedes-Benz. Those are the taxis. And then I went and rented an Opel Cadet. So I'm in my Opel Cadet. So uh, I'm—I'm driving, and so I feel like uh, it's only right that I experience this, uh, have this high-speed experience. Unfortunately, I couldn't go any faster than 95 miles an hour. That was with the Opel Cadet pedal to the floor, and it was shaking violently
1: <laughs>
0: while I was driving 95. <laughs> Meanwhile, of course, there are all these Porsches and BMWs and you know the Mercedes. All these—they're just—they're—they're they're flying by me like I am literally feel like I'm I'm just standing still. I don't even want to try to guess how fast they were going. I do know this. Uh, they're, you know, they drive at high speeds. There's an unwritten rule. I just want to help you if you haven't been there yet. That if you get over, you should stay in the slow lane. Unless you're prepared to drive at way over 100 miles an hour. So I'm in my little Opal Cadet, and and, and so somebody, believe it or not, was driving slower than me. And so I decided to pass them, and almost immediately in my rearview mirror, a car comes up. I mean, it came out of nowhere. Light, bright lights, and they're flashing their right turn signal. And so I assumed, oh, okay, so uh, they're letting me know that they're going to move over into the right lane. No, that is not what they meant. What they're saying is, it's an unwritten and understood language. You need to move over so that I can go ahead. So I finally figured that out. And so uh, the rest of my time there I spent in the right-hand lane. Have you been there, Russ? You want to go, don't you? Yeah. Which, mostly because of the beer or the Audubon? Both. Both, okay, yeah. There's other, uh, other great things about Germany. Uh, one thing that happened, though, during the ten days we were there, we enjoyed our trip. We were absolutely convinced that we were not ready to lead a mission planning to Germany. So uh, we didn't end up going. But there was one other experience there that uh, was especially intensely Meaningful. Uh, We went to Munich. We went to a spot. It's about 10 miles outside of Munich. We went to the first concentration camp in Germany. It's uh, Dachau. I don't know if any of you have ever been there before. As intense as it is, uh, I would recommend going because it's something that you will never forget. Of course, the German... You know, concentration camp and the the Nazis and all that. Um, there were tens of thousands of people that died at Dachau. Have you been there? Yes. Any anybody else been there? Yeah. It's uh, it's very intense. And of course, you know, you go through and they've restored or remodeled or allowed a lot of it to stay the same. There's a lot of pictures of what happened there and you know the people who died and you see the. The gas chambers, and you see the ovens, and you see the terrible conditions they lived in in the barracks. There, uh, that was struck me. The the barracks were the beds were all four feet long. Talk about unnecessary torture. It would they were and they had headboards and the footboards were very large, so they were designed so that if you were four foot tall, there was no way you could sleep at night and stretch out. I mean, obviously that's. In the big scheme of things, it's not as big as the kind of torture and death that these people suffered. Very intense experience, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's something to be proud of for the German people because, I, I, you know, my first question is, why is this here? But they, to their credit, the German people, they don't want to forget the atrocities that happened there, and they want to, they want to learn from their past. So they memorialized it with this uh, very intense thing there in Dachau. But here's the thing that, Mary Kay, I'm sure you remember going there. The thing that struck me as well as all the, the horrible experience, and maybe some of you have been there before saw that as well, is how, how quiet it is. You know, there's hundreds of people there that are touring this spot at the same time as we were, and nobody was saying much of anything. And if they did say anything, it was a gentle whisper. And it makes sense, doesn't it? What you're thinking about, and what you're viewing, and what you're experiencing, and even if it's it didn't happen to you, but... You're imagining it, it's so intense. This is not a place where you go and you laugh. This is not a place where you go and tell jokes. This is not a place where you loudly, you know, plan, make plans for where you're going to have dinner that night. You know, this is a, there's a, it's just an understood reverence, the intensity of the moment and the experience. You know, one thing I thought about is, I experienced this is all the tens of thousands of people there I thought, you know, this Dachau this is a place of unanswered prayers. See, I told you we're going to talk about real life God's way today. How many prayers were prayed there by people desperately wanted to be rescued, who desperately wanted to be saved, who cried out to God and they said, why am I here? Where are you, God? What did I do to deserve this? And the truth is, none of them did anything to deserve that. And a lot of them were Jews, as you know, and they were people of faith, but it wasn't just Jews. The Nazis, mostly Jews, but the Nazis put Christians and Protestants and Jehovah's witnesses and anybody who because people of faith are very threatening in a society where there's dictators and there's evil, you know people of faith are very threatening, so they just try this is how they dealt with all of them. A place of unanswered prayers. How many? cried out to God. You know, last week, two weeks ago, when we did our lesson, we were here, if you were here, we did Jesus in the garden. The garden of Gethsemane. It's the night, though the plan has been from all of eternity, that Jesus would die this horrible death on a cross for our sins, for us. He didn't do anything to deserve that. He's, even though it's been the plan from all eternity, the night before it's about to happen, Jesus is begging and pleading with the Father in Heaven and saying, can we please come up with another way? Were you here two weeks ago? Do you remember that? Abba, Father. All things are possible with you. You are God. You can do anything. I know it's been the plan for a long time, but... Can we please change the plan, Daddy? Tough conversation between a father and a son, isn't it? All things are possible with you, God. Can we just change the plan here? You know, Jesus is at least as smart as any of us in here. I bet he came up with a hundred different... I bet in that prayer time, I bet he came out with a hundred different plans. God, how about this one? All things are possible with you, God. We don't have to do it this way. I know it's been the plan, but surely you can do something else. Of course, Jesus passed that test. Gethsemane is the place where you go. To yield and to accept, however painful it may be, what God's will is for your life. No matter how terrible and painful it is. But the story doesn't end there. So today we're going to pick up and we're going to go all the way to the cross. And as we go through this, I don't I'm going to skip to the to the actual crucifixion, and some of you may know this story. Some of you may not. It might be new to you. I want to skip some things, but I want to... If you do know, I just want to remind you of a few things. And I want to ask you to do something. As we reflect, I want you to try to... Like when you go to Dachau, what what is so overwhelming about it is you're there and you just sort of put yourself there. I want you to see if you can put yourself in the story. I want you to see if you can imagine that you were Jesus. And the interesting thing about Mark's description of it, he doesn't focus so much on the physical suffering of Jesus, as terrible as that was, but on the emotional suffering of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? He doesn't describe, Mark doesn't describe in great detail the suffering of Jesus physically on the cross. You know, we, a lot of you have read, we. We have the medical account of the crucifixion, and we can go into great detail and imagine, and probably accurately so, how terrible the experience was. You know what? What the gospel writers write, what Mark writes, they just said he was crucified. But you know what they do mention over and over again was what was going on in his heart, and what was his experience with his relationships, and his experience emotionally. Let me remind you of what happens after Jesus leaves the Garden of Gethsemane in that all-night prayer. Judas, one of his best friends, betrays him. All of his closest followers deserted him. The Jewish religious leaders show up, and they have this mock trial, this trial of a ridiculous trial, and they made up lies about him, and they took the truth and they twisted it to make him look as bad as possible because they wanted him dead Peter denies Jesus disowns him Pilate the Roman governor knows Jesus is innocent but he won't take a stand he presents him to the crowd and he's hoping the crowd will you know says hey you know we can have this guy Barabbas or you can have Jesus and they go no we let Barabbas go free crucify him How are you feeling right now of your Jesus? See, all this just has to do with it's an emotional pain. It's a heart pain, isn't it? The soldiers mock Him. The Jewish religious leaders, when He goes to the cross, insult Him. Even He was crucified with two thieves. That's fairly demeaning, isn't it? Guilt by association. Put him right between two known criminals who deserve to die for their crimes. And we read the other accounts. Mark doesn't mention it. They were insulting him too. Talk about piling on. So now we're ready to read. Mark 15. Text for today. says in verse 25, it was the third hour when they crucified Him. Now in the Jewish way of counting time, their day began at 6 a.m. So, Sean, what would the third hour be? Three hours after that. Can you do the math? 9 a.m. Smart guy, that Sean O'Connor. Not just a talented musician. So it's 9 a.m. Jesus is crucified. The written notice of the charge against Him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with Him. One on His right, one on His left. Those who passed by hurled insults at Him, shaking their heads, saying, so you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from that cross. Save yourself. Imagine. Imagine. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, mocked Him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but He can't save Himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel... Come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And Mark does mention it, at least not specifically, but as an aside. Those crucified with Him also heaped insults on Him. At the sixth hour. So now it's about 6 p.m. Is that right, Sean? No. No. That was a trick. It's about noon now. Third hour is 9 a.m. Sixth hour is noon. See, I tried to trick you and you, you fell into my trap. About noon, sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. The last three... We're in total darkness. God came in an obviously a miraculous experience. The sun went dark in the middle of the the exact middle of the day at noon. When the sun is directly overhead, everything went dark for three hours. And at the very end, here's where we get to our text for today. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I want to be honest with you. I don't know, this is Aramaic. And Mark goes to all the trouble. The was, Aramaic was the sort of Jewish uh, Version, their version of the Jews, Jewish language of that day. And so Mark actually quotes it in Aramaic. He says, I want you to know exactly what Jesus said. Eloi, Eloi, lama I have no idea that's how you really pronounce that. But I just want, I'm trying to sell it, okay? I want you to be convinced that I do. Now, I don't know how it's pronounced. But just in case we want to make sure we understand what Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever felt forsaken by God? I wonder if we could have a little real life today. ever felt forsaken by God? Normally these are not the kind of things that we want to talk about in church. You know what's great to come to church and to share about all the answered prayers? Right? Somebody's mom or dad got cancer and we prayed and they were miraculously healed and three weeks later there was no evidence of a tumor anymore. Well, those are great prayers. Somebody lost a job. And we all prayed about it. And a day later they got another job making twice as much money as they were making before. Those are great stories, aren't they? And we could go on and on. But the truth is, there are many times that we pray and we ask God to help us out and we face our tough situation and God is nowhere it seems to be found. Can we say that out loud? a tight spot what was that movie oh brother where art thou love that movie we're in a tight spot here we're in a terrible situation there's so much pain and and we cry out and we're sincere and we have faith and we believe god can fix it and we want god to fix it and you know what happens nothing There's no burning bush. There's no undisputed miracle. There's no voice from heaven. There's no pillar of fire. There's no glimpse of glory. That's what Jesus is experiencing right here. The real Jesus knows what it's like to feel forsaken by God. The next time you feel like I'm praying, and you know, it's a, it, I'm living in a world of unanswered prayer, and you know, it's great when other people get their prayers answered, but can I be honest with you? Sometimes it makes me a little angry. Did I say that out loud? I mean, I'm happy for them, and I'm happy I got their prayer answered, but immediately I go, well, what's wrong with me? where's my miracle? Where's God? You know, I look at the whole cross. The whole situation, it's, it's so intense. I can't believe that God chose to do it the way He did. And I can't believe that Jesus... Chose to endure what happened. Not just the physical pain, but the emotional pain, the suffering, the feeling of abandonment. Was there any worse pain that Jesus experienced ultimately than the feeling that God, His Father in heaven, abandoned Him in His hour of the greatest need? Do you see what I'm saying? Why wasn't there a voice from heaven? You know, when Jesus got baptized, there was a great, you know, it was wonderful, you know, the clouds split open and, you know, everybody was there, big scene, God voice from heaven, dove came down, right? Landed on his head. I don't know what it is, but it sounds pretty cool. Right? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Why couldn't that have happened? You know what you get? You get Jesus crying out and if we're to believe what the Mark says, there is nothing. You know, one of the most painful things is to try to reach out to somebody and try to talk to them about their relationship with them and try to reconcile with them and they just ignore you. That's happened in our marriage before. And I'm going to I'll take the bullet here. I'm not going to mention whether Mary Kay's ever done that to me or not. But there have been times when something's going on and I get angry and I'm upset and she's trying to talk and she's trying to reach out and she wants to try to reconcile and she wants to communicate. And I will, I refuse to talk to her. If you've ever been on the other end of that, that is one of the cruelest things that you can ever do to somebody. I get a, a lot of heads are nodding. You guys need to work out your marriage problems when you go home today. Okay? If we're to believe this story, nothing happens. I mean, it's one thing that Jesus has got to die. But does it have to be this bad? I mean, couldn't, couldn't God have done something? And of course we know it wasn't that God, God did not forsake him. In his mind, Jesus knew that God had not forsaken him. But from where he was at, at that moment, he felt like he was forsaken by God. Have you ever been there? And the next time you're there, and if it's never happened to you, it will. Some of you young people may say, you know, yeah, well, you know, he didn't answer that prayer I did, said about that test I wanted to do well in, and I didn't study for it. I asked God to give me all the answers. Miraculously. I figured out earlier on that that didn't work. So I'm just going to tell you that. Later on, when I got older, I, I changed my prayer, and I, I, I feel like I would study a little bit, and I would say, okay, God, I don't know most of this material, but can you just make sure the test only ask the questions that I know the answers to? <laughs> this is a little bit of my journey. I'm not sure that was a great prayer either. So you don't have an experience this yet. Maybe you have. You know, people and teenagers have serious emotional issues. <laughs> and I'm just not talking about what they do to their parents. <laughs> no, it's, it's intense. And I lived in the community in La Cañada. I don't live there anymore now. But there were several times during the time we lived there, when my kids were in school there, where kids in those schools committed suicide. One of them, right in the courtyard, jumped off a building in the courtyard at the high school during school. So, well, I didn't need to come to church to hear that today. Now, that's real life. So, I don't want to minimize the challenges that you may have. Maybe you feel it now, maybe you don't. I guarantee you, if you keep on keeping on, there's going to come a time where things are happening in your life and life seems so painful. And you're praying and you're trying to be spiritual and you're trying to exercise your faith and you feel like I am getting nothing here. God hasn't done one thing to indicate that He has even heard my prayer. I mean, sometimes it would be nice if I could just hear something. Could could you just tell me no? That's almost better than getting nothing. Nothing. God sometimes seems absent. Well, it's time to close out. It's very interesting. If you put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, theres you may have heard this before, there's seven different things that are recorded that Jesus said on the cross. And some of them are really cool. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus' mother and his friend John made it to the cross. Seems like most people didn't, but they were there. And Jesus on the cross saying, hey, you know, son, John, here's your mom. Mom, here's here's your new son. I'm not going to be around anymore. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Jesus on the cross. He converts one of the two thieves. Right? He has a spiritual discussion. The guy's insulting him and Jesus is reaching out and jesus is helping him and the guy gets saved right there that was really cool wasn't it but mark you know the guy who leaves out so many details (laughs) the only thing he mentions that jesus says is my god my god why have you forsaken me So I wonder why that was the only thing he wrote out. Maybe that was the most important thing in Mark's mind that we needed to understand. Is that just like Jesus, there are going to be times in our life where people of faith are suffering and enduring something and they don't feel like they did anything to deserve it and they feel like they're asking God for help and they're not getting anything. Maybe that's what we needed to know Mark's opinion more than anything. You know, by the time Mark wrote this, a lot of people believe that the Apostle Peter was the one who related his story, and Mark wrote it down, and they were Rome at the time, and Nero was the emperor, and Peter was getting ready to be crucified, and he sort of told his story before he died to get it out, and Christians were dying in Rome by the hundreds, by the thousands, lighting them on fire, feeding them to the lions... You don't think those, did you think there was anybody there who had some unanswered prayers? Think anybody wanted to go, hey, God, you know, here I am. I could use a miracle, I could use unanswered prayers. Maybe Mark thought that's the thing that everybody needs to understand. Whenever you feel that way, And God's plan for your life or what He's either caused or He's allowed in your life and the pain that's there and it's so real and it's so intense and you feel frustrated because maybe that's what we need to understand more than ever. Anything is that Jesus understands. Jesus knows exactly how He feels exactly, He's felt exactly the same way. You know, there is something pretty impressive here at the end. Where did I, did I go all the way through verse 39? I did, didn't I? Let me remind you of the very last verse. It's been pretty intense today, hasn't it? It's kind of a Dachau experience. It's okay though, sometimes we need that. I can be a very funny guy. Some of you know that. Come back next week. I'm liable to be really funny. It's kind of not where we're at this week, is it? But here's the thing. I love the way this story ends. In verse 39, And when the centurion, the Roman soldier, commander of a hundred people, the guy who was evidently overseeing the execution, the guy who may have driven the nails into Jesus' hand, the guy who had been there... All during this six-hour experience. And he'd heard all the conversations and all the things that Jesus had said and all the things that people said to him. And he heard that cry at the end, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he'd been there through the three hours of light, the three hours of darkness. And he says he stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry, saw how he died, and said, Surely this man was the Son of God. You know, that Roman centurion. he'd seen people die before. Very likely he'd been in battle and seen people die. Very likely he'd been to a crucifixion before. The Romans crucified people by the hundreds, if not thousands. They believed that capital punishment was a deterrent to crime. This guy says, "I've seen people die and I've seen people crucified, but I've never seen anybody like this. most people who get crucified their cries of pain and their shouts of agony and their wild curses and they're angry and they're shouting and you know they would if people were mocking them they would be getting their last words in right He hadn't seen any of Jesus do that and I believe even when he heard the words of Jesus my God, my God, he understood, he recognized, he had been there. He had already been convinced that Jesus was the real deal. And he understood this is the simple, this is real life. This is somebody crying out to their dad, to their father in heaven, and asking a question and just just expressing their pain in in the most real and honest way this guy said that's the son of God I'll leave you with this perhaps the truest evidence of who you are is how you act when you feel like you've been forsaken by God Let me say that again. Perhaps the most accurate testimony of who you are, potentially as a man or woman of God, as a person of faith, is how you act, how you behave, what you think and what you do when you are enduring something that is so intense and so painful and you feel forsaken by God. Perhaps that's when our truest colors show. And I hope that you would join me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. But my goal is to live my life and to endure whatever pain or suffering comes my way and to accept God's will for my life and to be honest and real if I feel forsaken by God but to understand that that's part of it and sometimes you get no and sometimes you get nothing. And I'm just going to trust God and I'm going to live my life in spite of the pain that I'm going through in such a way that even hardened sinners like this Roman centurion will look at the way I live and will look at the way that maybe I even died. And they will say, surely Jesus is the Son of God. And surely this is a man of faith. I want to live in a way when I'm going through my hardest times that will create faith in other people, not destroy faith in other people. And all of us have a choice. When we feel forsaken by God, the real Jesus knows what it's like to feel forsaken by God. Let's pray as we close out. God, I want to thank you for this plan, this terrible plan, at least a terrible plan for you and for painfully, ter- terribly painful for you and for Jesus, that you were willing to plan and to execute Jesus to let this happen. I can't even imagine how hard it was for you to turn away from him and his pleas and his cries and his. Pain, Jesus, thank you. Even though you didn't understand, even though you thought there was maybe a better way, even though it was so difficult for you, thank you for being so real and honest and following through with your faith. I pray for everyone here that we can all learn from you, Jesus how to live when we feel forsaken by God, our Father in Heaven, and how to to live in such a way as to create faith in others and not destroy faith in others. Give us the strength, lead us by your Holy Spirit to be those kind of people. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.